I tell you what, I, I will make it available to you to email to everyone. Again. <laughs> I've got the list. Amen. So uh, tonight is April 15th. It is 2009. We're picking up in the ninth part of our series. Uh, I kind of cheated a Sunday ago and crammed one, two, three, four, five of them together. But this is the ninth section of our series, and it is called Authority to Trample. This has taken us through the pre-Adamite world and the creation that began in Genesis 1. It's taken us through a description of the heavenly hierarchy from seraphim to cherubim to 24 elders to angels, archangels, all of those things. It's taken us through a description of archangels, who's named, who's not, what they are. It's taken us through a description of theories regarding the origin of Satan about fallen angels, the now condemned, the cross, and tonight is authority to trample. It is one of those things that would help if you were familiar with the other topics, but we will review them as we need to. Uh, we want to start tonight in Romans 13. It's on your board, but it helps to see it in your Bible. Yes. So if you want to turn to Romans 13, that is great. If not, read it from the screen. I have a lot to cover with you tonight. So I put it up there for that reason. It says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is a favorite scripture of those who are in authority. Yeah, It's not such a favorite scripture of those that are under authority. But the reason that I brought it up was not to talk about how godly the Roman Empire was who was reigning during this time. Not to talk about how wonderful the policeman was that gave you a ticket. It's to talk about the source of all authority, period, originates with God. There's only one way to get authority, and that's that God allow you to have it, that He invest it in you. Does not mean you do a good job with it. Does it mean that everything you do He approves of? It means, quite simply, that if there is an authority that exists anywhere, God had something to do with it. Having said that, turn with me to Genesis 41. This is going to be the first use of authority and all of the word described with that word, authority. So this would be Genesis 41, starting in the 35th verse. You're going to get some Hebrew words here in just a minute. It be good to write them down, at least their pronunciation as best as you can phonetically write it. Genesis 41, 35. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. There was a time of tribulation coming upon Egypt which represented the world, the likes of which the world had not yet seen. The only way to survive during this time was to take some of what you had, not 10%, not 15 but 20%, a fifth of what you had, and put it under someone else's authority that you may be saved. What is amazing about this is the word authority that is here 
at least in the NIV, does not appear in the Hebrew. It quite literally says, because the Hebrew is a pictorial language, a descriptive language, put it under the hand of Pharaoh. So first and foremost, something that I want you to understand is that when we are speaking of a godly authority, we're talking about putting something in God's hands. When we hold on to something and we say that it's ours, it's difficult to say that it's God's. When we put it in His hands, it falls under His authority. And you're going to find out something. God also puts things under your hand and your authority. But we must first start with recognizing He's the source of all authority and put everything in His hands. The Hebrew word for hand is Yad. You see it's pronounced Y-A-W-D? See, it's like God's from the South. Yad. Right? Not Yad. That would be like He was from New York. But if He's from the South, it's Yad. Can y'all see that on the screen? Yes. Yes, good. Alright, turn with me to Numbers 27, 18 then. And you can slide the screen as you go, Mandini. So the Lord said to Moshe, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. You're beginning to get an idea of the expression of laying on of hands and what that might allude to? If God's hand, if He's put you under His authority, your hands become like His. And when you lay your hand upon someone, it's symbolizing that God's authority is flowing through you and into them. Because God's hand is on you and your hand is upon this person. And lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. Give him some of your authority. This is amazing. Something had been invested in Moses. And now Moses was told to invest a portion of that in someone else. God invests in us so that we will invest in other people. The word here for some of your authority is not Yod. It doesn't mean hand. It's a different word that we still derive the meaning of authority from. It's Hod. It comes from the idea of your grandeur. Your imposing form or appearance. Have you ever been in the room with somebody that just had this presence about them? On American Idol, they call it a star-like presence. I don't know if they know what they're talking about, but I have certainly been in the room with people that us charismatics say, man, that guy's anointed. There is a presence, a grandeur, a form that is about them. And God said, Moses, I've given you this, and I want you to put some of it upon Joshua. So when we're thinking of authority, not only is it something that symbolizes your hand being on it, but it also symbolizes a grandeur, a presence, something bigger than you that suddenly shows up. In Deuteronomy 1, starting in the 15th verse, it says, So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and as tribal officials. This word for authority is yet another one. We're going to cover five of them tonight. It's rosh. It doesn't mean to put your hand on. It doesn't mean the grandeur of a presence. 
It simply means that you are the head of them. You are the captain, the chief, the principal, the monarch, the ruler. This is an idea that is pregnant within the word authority in your text. So when we're speaking of a biblical authority, it's something that God has put His hand on. Something that God has invested His grandeur, His presence in. It's something that God has decided to make a chief, a captain, a ruler. Y'all with me so far? Yes. Turn to Esther 9. You'll be in the 29th verse. You see why I put them on the screen? I have to cover them at kind of a quick pace to get this in on Wednesday. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority. If you have full authority, doesn't that imply that there can be partial authority? That your authority might be limited in some areas? Well, he wrote with full authority to confirm his second letter concerning Purim. This word for full authority is tokif. It means might, authority, power, strength, but it has with it the idea what it takes to get it done. He wrote with the strength, the power, whatever it is that is that intangible quality that causes you to be able to accomplish is what he wrote with, and he wrote with it in its fullness. We've got one more for you. It's in Isaiah 22, and then we'll move on with our point. This is a pretty special one. It ties a lot of them together. In Isaiah 22, starting in the 20th verse, in that day, I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. By the way, when we're speaking of robes, sashes, keys to a house, these are all things that have to do with authority. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Yes. Yes, speaking of the authority of the Christ. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will be a seat of honor for the house of his father. Almost like he has a grandeur of presence. All the glory of his family will hang on him. It's offspring and offshoots all of its lesser vessels from all the bowls to all the jars. So if we start with something upon which it all hinges and authority drips, glory drips, the power of a mighty hand drips from it onto all of the bowls and onto all of the lesser vessels and onto the jars, not only can authority be invested in something, it flows from a higher source to a lower source to a lower source to a lower source. What this kind of authority is called is memshalah. Memshalah has to do with the extent or realm of a ruler. All of these words, whether we're talking about yod or memshalah or tokif, any of them have to do with the word authority. And I want to summarize them for you. When a Hebrew thinks of the word authority, he thinks of a hand, a hand like God's hand that has been put upon him so that his hand becomes like God's hand. This is the root and the origin of laying on of hands. It's not really me that is touching a sick person in this church. It is God extending His hand through me that is touching them. 
When a Hebrew thinks of authority, he thinks of an imposing form or appearance beyond him that is suddenly present. When a Hebrew thinks of authority, he thinks of being made the head, captain, chief, or ruler in a given situation. When a Hebrew thinks of authority, he thinks of extending rule or a realm of power called dominion or kingdom, like the kingdom of heaven. In Daniel 7, we see the ultimate expression of what the Hebrews were looking for with somebody that had been endued with authority. In Daniel 7, starting in the 13th verse, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority. This word for authority is all of that. He was given God's hand. He was given God's grandeur of presence. He was given God's status as the head of all things. He was given God's might, His power, His strength, His realm to rule. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Think about that. Authority, glory, and sovereign power. Doesn't that sum up those five words that we just saw? All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. God is the source of all authority and He is investing that authority. That authority has been invested among men. One like the Son of Man has received a sum of authority that will never go away or be taken away. The Greek concept of authority is not very much different. In fact, because Greek is such a beautiful language, when translating all of the Hebrew words for authority into Greek, it's simply one word. Exousia. Exousia, you can read on the screen, says privilege, force, capacity, competency. Getting like this, both freedom and mastery. <laughs> when you're in authority, you have the freedom to do what you like and the power to show mastery over what you do not like. Magistrate, superhuman, my all-time favorite word here, potentate, <laughs> token of control, delegated influence, Authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. When we read in the Greek, we're expressing a Hebrew concept that has to do with the head of a thing, that has to do with the hand of a thing, that has to do with the presence of a thing, the strength of a thing, and the dominion of a thing. And it is all wrapped up in one Greek word called exousia. Having said that, let us read Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one who had authority. When somebody stands up and they say, these words of mine, when they stand up and claim that what they are telling you is the singular, narrow, and only way to success, that is speaking as somebody who believes that they are the hand of something greater. That is speaking as somebody that has a grandeur of presence beyond that of an ordinary person. That is someone who believes themselves to be the head, the chief, the captain, the ruler, the potentate among men. That is somebody who has a might, a power, and a strength to extend the realm of a ruler beyond its existing borders. Jesus taught in a way that left no room for misinterpretation. It's not that you can apply some of Jesus' word. He simply said, if you apply my word, you will be like this. If you do not apply my word, you won't be. Saints, I want you to think about this. What makes a house stand? If we're talking, I mean, we're all from the south part of the United States where there's hurricanes. Does what you believe when you sit inside your house really make your walls any stronger? Yeah. And yet Jesus is in a boat and that very same wind stood against Him and He had the authority to change the wind, did He not? Yeah. See, we cannot deny the fact that there are circumstances that work against the authority of God. But what the King tells us is when you stand in His Word, you are standing in His authority and you have authority over even the winds. Difficult for me not to apply this verse to the finances we discussed earlier. But I have good word from my associate pastor. He is going to cover that in a men's meeting. And that the women are going to cover it in a women's meeting. I don't care what kind of economic collapse our country is having. When you stand in God's word, you can stand up and rebuke the economic calamity and God will come through for you. Right. When you stand outside of his word, no matter who you are, no matter how nice you are, no matter how much you have good intentions, your house will fall, period. And if you see it crumbling around you, you might change your approach to God's word. You understand? Remember that authority is taking something out of your hand and putting it in God's hand. When we're talking of this recognition of authority, we need to understand recognizing authority has inherent with it a promise of blessing or destruction. If you believe someone is in authority and you do what they said, you should receive the benefit of their authority. Their power to change circumstances. Their power to bring a presence in that you needed. Their power to bring power into a situation. When you stand against someone with authority, all of those same things work against you. In Matthew 8.8, 8, we have a very interesting situation. Something that surely must have been hard for Matthew to put in his book. If you were a Jewish person in the first century, how much would you like Jesus praising a Roman soldier? That would probably not be your favorite story. That would probably be a little bit uncouth. I thought of about four examples to give you, but you know what? They're all uncouth. So in Matthew 8, we're going to start reading in the 8th verse. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant 
will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Isn't that true in the military? What happens to you if you don't? They throw you in the brig, don't they? Do you think God's worthy of less honor, less respect? Or do we show contempt for His kindness because He delays in judgment? Watch what happens with this man. When Jesus heard this, He was astonished. Now, of all the Scriptures that you could read, the King of the universe being astonished ought to catch your eye. And He said to those following Him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What is such great trust or faith about this? Jesus is not commanding an army. Jesus has not appeared as a monarch. There is no reason to think that this first century carpenter son who was dressed and acted like a Jewish rabbi had been invested as the head of anything. There was nothing about his appearance that to the naked eye would cause you to think that he had a grandeur or an imposing form or appearance. He didn't seem to be the head of any nation. He didn't seem to have might or power or strength beyond that of any ordinary man. He didn't walk around like Samson. You couldn't define the borders of his realm or his kingdom. You could not even see that which he said he was the ruler of. Such great trust is that despite everything that was fighting against his natural senses, this man sensed an authority, a power in Jesus. And he believed that if Jesus spoke, the heavens would obey. So listen to what happens. I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done for you just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. One account that is very similar in the book of John says the man simply took Jesus at His Word. Now, I want to submit to you that God will put you in a situation where you do not see His authority at work. He will put you in a situation where there is no reason to suggest that He's going to do anything about it and require you to trust in what is unseen simply because He said it. That is great Trust. That is an astonishing faith. What is it when we require of God to prove it first? Matthew 9 contains another story that I thought was a blessing. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, this is Matthew 9, verse 4, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then He said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. 
And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. I want you to understand something. Did anybody see Jesus forgive a sin? How would you see such a thing? How could you see the forgiveness of a sin? You really can't. But what they did see was something that they considered harder had just been done, and so obviously this man had a power beyond what you could see. There are many times in our life where you may not see God's deliverance in a particular situation. You may not see His hand upon your hand in this specific place. But you can always point to some other area that is harder, like, I don't know, raising the dead and see His hand at work and know if He can do that, He can certainly do this. I want you to get this. The next verse. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Hear these words. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. How many of you could be persuaded to leave your wife and family, your livelihood, everything that you were doing in that moment with two words? You know how you could be persuaded to do that? If you believe that God's hand was working through a man and His hands were like God's. If there was a grandeur and imposing form or presence that you sensed in Him, if He seemed to be the head of something unseen, if He seemed to have a might, a power, and a strength that could only come from God, and if you had a feeling that following Him was entering into the realm of a great kingdom, two words might be enough. And then suddenly all of the what-ifs, all of the things that you cannot see, fade for the one thing that you can see. He spoke to you and said, follow me. Saints, what a powerful scripture. Matthew answered the call with two words. How many words from Jesus have you heard? How many times does a police officer tell you to get out of the car and put your hands on the hood before... There's a price for not doing it. How many words have you heard? See, in my life, I've heard a lot of words from Jesus. He doesn't have a taser. He has a sulfur stew waiting for all those that will not recognize His authority. Turn to John 10. Let's talk about the ultimate expression of His authority. Y'all with me tonight? Yes. I, and this is John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I have received from my Father. Well, if you don't believe that I can forgive sin, but healing somebody who seems afflicted convinces you that I can forgive sin. 
What do you think you would be convinced of if the most unovercomable obstacle in all mankind's history, the one thing that had experienced a 100% failure rate, a man overcame? Wouldn't that show that he has all authority? When mankind sinned, the same problem came upon all mankind. And no matter how talented, no matter how good, no matter how good-looking somebody was, they all died. Not to get up again, at least not by their own authority. But here stands a man who claims to have such authority that even death will be obedient to him. That's quite a claim. That might cause you to stand back and watch. But it was so unbelievable it could be difficult to even consider that that's what he meant. So they had trouble grasping it. Surely he must be talking about something else. How many times did Jesus say that he would suffer, be handed over, die, and raise again? He said it over and over and over, and they didn't get it until after the resurrection because such an outlandish, crazy claim had never been made. And in 4,000 years of human history, it had never been done. Turn with me to Matthew 28, 18. <laughs> then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means if there is a hand that God is going to use, all of it belongs to me. If there is a grandeur or an imposing form and appearance to God, all of it is mine. If there is the head, captain, chief, ruler of anything, all of it is found in me. If there is might, if there is power, if there is strength, 100% of it is mine. If there is a realm, dominion, government, power, it all belongs to me. All authority, all exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There is no higher power to appeal to. There is no power in the heavens, no power on the earth, by which we can say, I know Jesus said this, but all of it belongs to Jesus. Your circumstances don't elevate beyond His Word. Your sympathies, your emotions, your passions don't elevate beyond His Word. All authority in the heavens and on the earth has been given to Him. And our job is to teach people to obey His Word. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I told you all the story not long ago about my sister beating up five little boys at a swimming pool. And that was a true story. I got in trouble for telling it later, so I'm telling it again. Mm -hmm. And if she watches on a Wednesday night, then she'll be blessed. If she doesn't chastise me, then I'll know she didn't watch this. You see? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a fair deal? One of the little boys had braces, and Michelle hit him so hard that his braces embedded in his gum. And you do that weird little thing where he had to pull it off. And I laughed. I laughed. I thought it was the funniest thing I had ever seen. Do you know that when I walked to the pool the very next Saturday, I was about a foot taller? Yeah. Mess with me. 
I've got the heavyweight with me, right? I felt very, very empowered. Now get this, saints. The God of the universe has invested all that He is in a singular form, in the Christ. And He is with you at all times, everywhere you go, to the very end of the age. What are you scared of? What are you intimidated by? But, but I don't know how it's going to... You don't have to know how. We believe in an authority that is unseen. So, but I just don't want to miss Him. He is able to make sure you don't. I'm not suggesting your every idea is God. Please don't read that into this. I'm suggesting that when God's Word comes to you to do something, it's not optional. That's what I'm suggesting. Some things you have to pray. You have to discern. You need it confirmed by more than one witness because the truth is our hearts are sometimes fickle. You know some things do not need to be prayed about, do not need to be confirmed by more than one witness. I'll give you one. If you are saved, get baptized. You don't have to pray about it. Get baptized. You do not have to ask permission or what he thinks about it. Why? Because he has already said to do it about a hundred times. You remember that other subject we were talking about earlier? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to go consult. You don't have to go add figures. If you grew ten carrots, one of them at the very least belongs to God. Period. You'll get yourself out of trouble. Make sure the first carrot you pull out of the ground goes straight to Him. It's about being invested in His authority. You really think God needs your carrots, potatoes, or anything else? He wants you flowing in His authority. This is what He wants. He wants you to show that you're obeying His Word so that when you speak a word, it's as if it were God. So that you are His ambassador. So that when you stand and rebuke a storm, you know that you are in His will. And that the storm is not the wrath of God falling on you for all of His Word that you are ignoring. One of the things that has robbed the church of confidence is a lack of obedience. When we know that we are doing everything that He has said for us to do, you can stand, look at the devil and say, I said go! And he can say no. And you say it again. And you do not give up until he goes. But when you've only been about two-thirds obedient to His Word, you're scared to death what might come out of His mouth next. I don't want that for anybody. I want us to learn to flow and the authority God has given us. I know what it is to be in weakness, fear, and trembling. But I tell you what, my knees may knock together, but I am following Jesus. Period. At odds with the remnants of an overthrown authority. Jesus says something. He said, all authority was given to me. Do we really see all authority invested in Him? In fact, I work at a place where a guy comes to work out sometimes. Not in a while, thank God. They nicknamed him the polar bear. Because he's a big, disgusting fellow. He's ugly and hairy. And he's been in the newspapers a lot for those massage places that are in this town. And he's a trafficker of human beings. When I'm around him, I feel a presence that is not the grandeur of God. 
had to pray one time because I thought if I got him in the elevator alone, maybe he could get an attitude adjustment. That's not God's will. Not the attitude adjustment. That's not either. It's not his will that that man exists and does what he does. It's not. So how do we say all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus, and yet at the present we don't see it? In Revelation 12, we find out there was a turning point in human history. There are lots of authorities that have rebelled. There are lots of authorities all the way back to the garden that existed by God's purpose but are not doing what God wants them to do. Adam was told to subdue them. This is why I went through the heavenly hierarchy with you. In Revelation 12, starting in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, That makes me feel better about getting excited when I preach. Even in heaven, they use a loud voice. Probably not because the people are hard of hearing. They must just get excited like your pastor does. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Does that scare anybody? I had a youth pastor one time. Matt had the same youth pastor. And that, that scared her. <laughs> oh, don't talk about the devil. She apparently didn't know what had been invested in her. You think he's ticked off. He didn't know ticked off until he has trampled in my family where he does not belong. I believe in an unseen authority. The hand of God working in ordinary men. The grandeur of an imposing form or appearance. I believe that he has made me a captain and a ruler over unseen principalities. I believe there is a might, a power, and a strength that is inside of me that is greater than what I was born with. I believe I have been made to be a ruler in a realm that is not easily measured. In short, I believe God has invested authority in me. Because Luke 10, 18 says something. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. I've given you the ability to be God's hand, to be His presence, to be His ruler, to be His power, His might, His strength, to extend His dominion. All of those things are in that word. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That sounds a little bit like you've been given the keys to the kingdom, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like you've been armed in a way that is too much for the enemy. So since he doesn't have the ability to accuse you before God anymore, this leaves his full-time job as tricking you about what you do and do not have. You can't do that. You remember what happened last week? You can't say that. Do you know who you are? 
all of those wars that are going on between your heart, spirit, and mind. This is his realm where he works. He's called the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> the truth is he's the prince of the power of the airhead. When you don't fill your mind with God's word, with his spirit, there's not much of worth left up there except air, and he rules it. At some point, we have to take hold of what God has given us, an authority to be his hand. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and have revealed them to the little children. To walk in God's authority, does it take strength? Does it take wisdom? Does it take a noble birth, noble character, any of those things? It takes no more than a child can do because Jesus called the people who had just experienced it little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father in heaven. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Let me ask you something. Do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Steve. Steve is the only man in here that... Do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Then you better find out who you are. Because He said, the God of the universe in human form said that what He has... He has given you. How is it that you know who He is and don't know who you are? He is a reflection of His Father. And who are you a reflection of? Him. We call ourselves Christians. That means like Christ. If you see yourself as less than the head of something, Less than the hand of God. See yourself as less than endued with power, strength, and might. Less than a ruler of a dominion. You evidently don't know who He is. Because you were made to be a little Him. Even as He was made to reflect His Father. Don't believe me? Turn to Colossians 2. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness... Uh, in Christ all the fullness how much of God does that leave out all the fullness None. he could just say all God right but he didn't he could just say the fullness of but he didn't this is one of those words that seems overly redundant all the fullness this is to rule out any possibility that there is any of God's authority, any of God's presence, any of God's divinity that is not found in Him. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. When you are standing in God's Word, when you are the house that is built upon the rock and the storm comes, what do you do? You don't just sit there and endure it. You walk outside and say, How dare you attack me? When you are standing in God's Word, when you are standing in His presence, and sickness comes, you don't just stand there and take that and say, Oh, well, you know, it's bound to happen. We come right to this altar, right to the altar in our houses, and we pray for healing and believe we have authority over sickness. Why? Because all authority is found in Christ 
and a hundred percent of me is in Christ. Mm. Unless, of course, a hundred percent of you is not in Christ. Mm. Then you could go, come out of him in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but when you're as invested in Christ as Christ is in God, a hundred percent of him is in you. And a hundred percent of you is in him. Then what do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? Think about that sentence. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you something before we get to the rest. Those little areas of disobedience that you, me, and Jesus know are there. Mm -hmm. Whether they're financial, whether they're passionate, whether they have to do with your eyes, your heart, your fears, your emotions, whatever it is. Which one of them is worth giving up access to that kind of power? Mm -hmm. Men spend millions of dollars to gain a governmental seat in the United States government and you're beginning to see how fragile that is. Mm -hmm. What is it that is cheating you out of access to 100% of God's power? Mm -hmm. Pleasure in your flesh for seconds, moments? Security of a few more dollars in the bank. Control! Control! Well, I do a lot of good things with this money, really. Did you start with doing the thing that God told you to do? Well, I helped seven people last month. Great. Is it in your hands or God's? Mm -hmm. See, our lives are about surrendering all that we are to Him so that He can give us all that He is. Mm -hmm. That's what our lives are about. It's about you taking no authority in a situation so that all of His authority can flow through you. Mm -hmm. In short, your lives are not your own anymore. Mm -hmm. When it's all put in a man's hands, a normal man, we don't do well. We don't make good choices. When you give 100% of it back to God, and you let Him make choices for you, mm -hmm. there's no power in the heavens or on the earth that can stop us. He'll shut the mouths of lions. He'll face down foreign monarchs. He will raise your children from the dead. Ephesians is worth going to. You can go ahead and slide this. Maybe. Ephesians 1.20 That power He's speaking of. Which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way before you get to that next scripture understand there is no title, no position, no throne, no place, not anywhere that is higher than the one that Jesus is seated in. Is that understood from that scripture? Is there anybody in here that would like to debate that or that thinks that I'm wrong? Well, good. Now, how about this next one? Most of us have no problem seeing that Jesus is lifted up, that Jesus is all of those things. The question is, how do you see yourself? Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's on top of the entire heavenly hierarchy. Seraphim are beneath His feet. Cherubim are beneath His feet. Twenty-four elders are beneath His feet. Archangels are beneath His feet. The Melchizedek priesthood beneath His feet. Angels beneath His feet. And where are you? Seated with Him. 
not beneath him, not beneath the seraphim, cherubim. By the way, regardless of what you think about Satan, angel, archangel, cherubim, seraphim, you know what's one thing that's indisputable? Whatever he was, he's beneath you. Beneath. That means when he suggests something, it's beneath you. Yes. Beneath you. Not worth considering. Kind of like if the mayor from some town in Pakistan wanted to meet with the President of the United States, he probably wouldn't give him the time of day because it's beneath him. Why do we spend so much time thinking about what he says? Talking about what he says. When we stand in the Word of God, we have unlimited, devastating, knockout power at our disposal. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through trust. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Have you ever gotten on a job and you want to know, well, where does my authority rest here? Is that person under my supervision or not? Because I don't really like what they're doing, but I don't know whether my authority extends to them. Right? We've all been there, haven't we? You ever extended your authority further than it was supposed to go and you got the big smackdown? Yeah. <laughs> If you are in God's Word, if you are hearing Him speak, everything, whether in heaven or on earth, is within your authority. Because you are nothing more than a mouthpiece for the authority above all authority. You have the right to make all judgments if they come from Him. Every one of them. If they haven't, you learned a long time ago that you have no authority except that which he has given you. So when he's silent, you're silent. When he speaks, you speak. But for sure, no power in the heavens or on earth can stop you. Now here's the most amazing part of all of this and then we close. Mankind's given a task. Go forth, subdue the earth. Multiply, replenish the earth. Noah's given that same task. All mankind was given the task. You are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus because you're supposed to be doing something. We say, oh, good works. I saved a cat today from getting run over. Good works. I gave a quarter to a poor guy. Good works. No. The good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. What is the problem in the universe really? The problem in the universe really is that there are authorities that are not using it well. And so God put one authority above all authorities. And everything in heaven and on earth is being measured against Him and brought in line with Him. And it starts with you. When you get in line with His Word, when you flow through His authority, then you begin helping to bring everything in heaven and on earth under His authority. This is called the kingdom of God. It's when His dominion has extended to you and now is going out from you to other people and suddenly His authority is flowing.
from his robes, his sashes, his beard, down into the bowls, the lesser vessels, all the way down into the jars, just like Isaiah said. In fact, the end of the entire matter is in Corinthians 15, starting in the 24th verse. Then the end will come, just like this message, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What was the first enemy that entered mankind? Death. It will be the last enemy to leave. But between the time it enters and the time it leaves, we are to be in the business of taking authority over the power of the enemy. And if you want to take authority over the power of the enemy, it starts in your own life. And once you've started in your own life, now you can see clearly to help others with the specks that are in their eyes. And then as a group, you help others. And the dominion of God moves further and further and further, and it will eventually encompass this entire planet. But it has to start within you. So I'm telling you, church, if you want to do God's will, if you want to walk in the authority that He's called us to trample upon the enemy. Understand trample means absolutely stomp a mud hole in his head. Not a light tap. Not a, oh, you're down, are you okay? This means to jump upon. To squish like you would a roach. This means to squish him. You first need to make sure that you're in obedience to his word in every area of your life. Sold out, not a sellout. The choice is yours. Y'all stand to your feet. We'll pray.